0: John chapter 19, verses 25 through 37. Christ, in the previous verses, has been crucified, which means he has been put up on the tree as the Old Testament prophets prophesied. And now we read Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other, When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, which said not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Let us pray. Your Father, we have come to that awesome time in history, which is the point in time when the work of Christ was finished. And having lived a sinless life, he died. And thus, the bonds of sin and death, and the stranglehold of Satan was broken forever <coughs> for those whose faith is placed in Christ through the calling of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the glory and beauty of this sacrifice. We pray that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, <coughs> that you might receive the honor and glory that your word might be upheld in its authority, and that Christ might be praised in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) As I have read at the end of his earthly life, Christ spoke these words in verse 30. It is finished. (coughs) And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. (coughs) We examine the text... The account of his life and death to see what it was that he was declaring was completed. In the creation of the universe, when God spoke and the universe came into being, created, which means that it was made from nothing, God saw his work and declared that it was good. Now another sort of work was accomplished work not done by verbal fiat. In other words, he didn't say, let there be a proper sacrifice. And it was done. Instead, a work accomplished by his action, his living among mankind. And as he completed this work, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, pronounced his evaluation of his work again, declaring, It is finished. It is completed. It is done. How many of us remember the echoing words of a parent? Perhaps they are a close echo for some of us, a farther echo for others of us, who, responding to our statement that we had done a job they asked us to do, told us emphatically, Oh, no, you're not done. I remember those words oh so well. (laughs) I could just about hear the tone of voice as my mother would speak those words. Get back here, oh no, you're not done. And while we were sometimes surprised to hear such an analysis uh, analysis of our work, the job that we claimed we had done, more often we knew exactly where we had failed to fulfill the expectations. In other words, when mother or father or someone else over us said, this job isn't done, we knew exactly what they were speaking of because we knew where we had failed to complete the job. (coughs) Often, however, it was just that our standards were different from those of the one who had given us the job to do. And before we were able to go on to something else, whether pleasure or more work, we had to tackle that same job again And finish it to the satisfaction of our supervisor, be it hard taskmaster like my mother or someone else. (coughs) Maybe we hurried through the work because we were eager to go outside and play. (coughs) Maybe we didn't see the importance of doing the job and doing it right. (coughs) Maybe we didn't see the importance of doing the job at all. (coughs) Or perhaps we had no reference point to compare a good job with a bad job. What is a good job anyway? It all depends upon who's doing the judging and what they are expecting to be done. How they are expecting it to be done. So we turn to examine the Lord's observation in his cry on the cross, which was this. Verse 28, later, knowing that all was completed, John is speaking of Christ's knowledge, all was completed. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is a matter, the completion of this job, about which there was not a small degree of confidence in his mind. As I might say to my mother, I'm done with that. Thinking to myself, I hope this isn't a callback. (laughs) But instead, it's a matter of which he had the absolute and utmost confidence. He knew that his work was completed, he knew that he was done. Then, being done, he stated this fact: it is finished. And with that, there was no necessity for him to do more. He bowed his head, he gave up his spirit, he died. With no doubts, no uncertainties to plague him, causing him to worry that he'd forgotten something, his work was finished. The rest would be accomplished in due course because of his fulfillment of what he had accomplished in his life living among men just such as we. How different is his work from ours? As we consider our work, we realize that if we were to analyze our jobs from all possible perspectives, if we were to analyze the tasks that we undertake— we realized, looking at it from every perspective, that we would conclude the outcome would not be satisfactory and we would never be finished. Looking at our jobs, our work, our projects, with regard to certain analyses, yes, it's been done, and it's been done well. And that is the satisfaction of work that God gave to man in the Garden of Eden. It would be satisfactorily, pleasingly, gloriously fulfilled and done well, and yet taken as a whole, if we look at the projects of our lives, if we examine them like a diamond from enough facets, we will find one that is not sharp. <clears throat> this is part of the curse which is brought into our world and into our lives due to sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, <clears throat> no matter how painfully and skillfully we seek To achieve the outcome, the final result is going to be far from perfect. Think of the times that I've gone into Jim's shop to look at some project that he's finished. And I look at it, and it is magnificent. And yet, Jim is able to say, Well, this part isn't quite right. And so then we commiserate and say, Yes, nothing is ever perfect. (laughs) <laughs> in his shop it's a lot more perfect than in nearly any place I know but nonetheless it is never perfect <clears throat> this is why there is so much talk throughout the years of achieving balance how do we have balance in our lives when you take on added responsibilities a new challenge the difficulty of achieving that balance is even greater <clears throat> That's why there is talk of quality time in comparison with quantity time. This is why we have the negative statements regarding people's work, which are, well, it works, and the end justifies the means. Because we realize that there is a trade-off in life, that even when we have achieved something we very much wanted to achieve, cost of such an achievement may well have been failure in another area of equal responsibility. Not always, but the cost may have been failure. <clears throat> when Christ saw his work was finished, in contrast with our lives, when Christ saw and knew that his work was finished and declared, it is done, it is completed, We can look at the work and find it a work of perfection. (coughs) How was the perfect completion of his work represented in this passage? In order to know what work (coughs) it is that he had completed and done well, you must first have a standard against which to measure it. How do we measure our work? We measure it based upon the standard that has been handed down to us, for instance, by our parents, who have taught us what it is to finish a job when it is done, because you've done it well. And so Christ's work was measured by God's standard, as revealed in God's Word. We've found it repeated again and again in the Gospel of John, as we've seen it here in verse 28. We read it from verse 28. So that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said... So that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said. And then we learn what he said. As we look at the prophecies which are met at these points, which John brings to our attention, we must remember that we are not dealing with issues which, to our limited understanding, may seem to be minor issues, small matters, simple things that are unimportant. For us, the fact that the Lord fulfilled the prophecy of Psalm sixty-nine, twenty-one. Psalm 60, what, what's Psalm 69 21? Well, you'd have to look it up to find out unless you guessed based upon the context. Which this verse says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. <clears throat> he fulfilled this prophecy by saying, I am thirsty, in verse 28, receiving a drink from a sponge wrapped around a stick which was dipped in. In a jar of wine vinegar, which was there, it may seem to us like a minor detail, an insignificant matter, not crucial to the completion of this work, but to one who understands that the word of God is inviolable, that God's word is representative of his his person, and that therefore it must be fulfilled in every respect. The fulfillment of every word, the accuracy of all prophecy, is not a minor detail. Instead, it is a sacred trust that will and must be carried out in every respect down to the details. This is an area of perfection, which we can be very thankful that our parents, who taught us what it was to complete a job, never reached. Because as we see throughout Scripture... We can never attain God's level of perfection. And this is why we are told so clearly in Scripture, (coughs) By grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man boast. It is impossible to achieve the completion of the job which is making ourselves satisfactory in the eyes of the Lord. And that is why only Christ is able to say, as he says here, in the ultimate sense, it is finished. So for Christ, his word provided the direction for the fulfillment of his plan. According to the overall purpose, the overarching scheme of things, including the smallest, minutest matters, such as this, at the conclusion of his earthly ministry, And so we know that if Christ knew it was finished and declared so by saying it is finished, this means certain specific things by which we can judge his completion of this work. In other words, if we know the standard that he is using to place as a template or a grid on his work and say it matches up, then we can use that same template and grid and say, does it match up? We can measure his life work by the measure of Scripture, the Word of God. We can see whether or not he fulfilled the plans laid out in Scripture. We can study these matters and learn more and more about what he did, when he did it, and why he did it. So much of which then becomes clear as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy showing the perfect consistency of the life, ministry, and death of Christ you think of the story following Christ's resurrection, I'm jumping ahead here. When the two were on the road to Emmaus and a stranger came up and started walking with them and they told him they were speaking sorrowfully about the crucifixion of Christ and they were astounded that apparently he knew nothing about it and through the course of the walk, this person walking with them who was the risen Christ explained to them the scriptures And why what had happened to him had to happen because of Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment of the word of God. This is an example of if Christ's analysis of the completion of his work is based upon the standard of scripture. We are able to look and to examine in depth and to find even more as we look at scripture as these men said when they learned it was Christ. Were not our hearts warmed within us as he taught us these things? For us to realize that we have merely scratched the depths when we have understood a small part of the prophecies concerning Christ and the meaning of his work. For instance, why was he not killed earlier in his ministry? On the several occasions when angry mobs came at him intending to stone him or throw him off a cliff. In John 7.30, we read of just such one time. And they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. <laughs> that is the standard of a job that is completed. How many jobs that are done too early are done at the wrong time? I don't ever do this, and, and it, it's not a it's not anything uh, personal. So I'm going to do something that I never do. All right. Uh, <clears throat> yesterday, Cassie was talking about cleaning part of the house, which she has to do on Saturday. And she used a perfect example of this because she said she wasn't going to do it right then because the other fellows were going to come through and tear it up later. She was going to wait until they were done tearing it up and then finish the job. That being a perfect example (coughs) that timing is crucial in the proper completion of a job. (coughs) And Christ The purpose of God God was fulfilled according to his timing, his way, despite the opposition of the enemy, carried out to the end, no stopping short or shy of the goal. This, then, give us the measure for our lives and our work. And yet we realize that our measure, the measure which we use of our lives and our work, is our own standard. (coughs) How often do we measure our lives and our work by lesser standards than God's standard? By our own expectations, formed as they are by any number of observations and experiences, which quite likely have absolutely no basis whatsoever in biblical truth and direction. If we want to accomplish goals which move us in the direction of completing the work which the Lord has given us as individual followers of his to do, then we must seek his wisdom from his word, follow his direction and his guidance, and seek to sort through every aspect of our lives to see, to filter it through this grid of his word. Is it fitting with the plan that he has for me, Nathan Bailey? First of all, realizing that the plan he has for me, Nathan Bailey, is going to be in so many respects exactly like the plan that he has for any one of his followers. Now, I mention this one caveat, this one thing that we must understand even as I speak of understanding God's will and plans for us. As we talk about measuring ourselves according to God's word and the standard that Christ set, we must realize that in no respect am I suggesting that we can earn our salvation. A matter of living up to the standard that Christ presents in Scripture is a matter which comes following, realizing that we can only be saved through faith in Christ and that's the point at which we seek to please him, but before that time, no matter how hard we try to please him, if we do not realize salvation comes through trust faith in Christ alone we cannot accomplish it, his standard is perfection and our standard is far from it And therefore, we can never bridge the gap. But following in the pattern of Christ, whose work was finished perfectly and completely, we must also avoid the danger (coughs) of accepting the overall pattern of biblical goals while neglecting the seemingly minor direction given to us in Scripture. This being an example, one would think in the context of saving mankind that (coughs) Christ, or anyone else for that matter, would say to themselves, What's a drink of wine vinegar after all? Let's just get this over with, right? How many times do our lives exhibit this lack of attention to the small details of how Christ wants us to live our lives? We think they are unimportant. And yet if our desire is above all things to honor our Father in heaven and to do his will as Christ proclaimed his was, to do the will of him who sent me, quote, that's what he said. How important it is for us to comply in the small manners as well. To accomplish the small things by God's grace. Not seeking to live lives that are uh, managed down to the point that the Pharisees managed them. With a minute explanation for every law of God. So that we become burdened with weights on our backs that are impossible to lift. And yet not at any point saying, Lord, <clears throat> this instruction that you give us is really a minor thing. And we're trying to win souls, for instance. This such a great task we're trying to accomplish. And in the way, forgive us for following not your means to the end. The end justifies the means. And our end is so great. Forgive us if we do not follow your means, your goals to reach that. What a blessing it is for us to run into Christians who are examining the scriptures and the small matters of the Christian life to seek what obedience to God requires of them. To see Christians who are looking at things and taking a fresh look at things. Not to find a new startling, amazing meaning out of something that has been examined again and again, but instead to understand what this means explicitly in the light of God's commands. Why is he telling us this? Why should we live in this way? What blessings does it give to us? Because we must realize that God's instruction and his commands for us are not uh, um, harmful sorts of things as you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, but they are always intended for our blessing, for our protection, and we understand these things in so many areas of our lives. <coughs> not only did Christ's work conform to the guidelines of Scripture, it also conformed to God's patterns. <coughs> and it is David who wrote this. <coughs> they give me wine vinegar, my, my reference to Psalm 62. <coughs> and so we see that Christ's work was not a disjointed, out-of-place work. And how easy it would have been for God to send Christ to this earth and said, get out of the way, all the rest of you. You've done a lousy job of representing me. And now we're going to do it right. But instead, Christ, the perfect fulfillment of all of those who came before, upon whom God placed his stamp of approval and said, despite their sins, even as he said of David, David is a man after my own heart, despite David's great sins. His heart was tender towards God. Our lives, if we accepted God's goals for us, will also continue in this same progression of the biblical models. Christ being the perfect model, others being the flawed but godly examples for us to imitate. Hebrews 11 speaks of many of these examples from scriptures. And if we know the names that are listed, we not, not only know the gracious way in which they were obedient to God and righteous, we also know their flaws and their failings, such as Abraham, David, Enoch, Noah, Sarah, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, Joshua, Gideon, and Samson, among others. <coughs> the pattern of righteousness they illustrate in their dealings with trials, temptations, and all manner of life circumstances in cultures that were both upright and wicked. And one of the elements that you cannot neglect as you look at this passage is in the early part of the verses. It teaches us that Christ in his analysis of his work and his completion of his work did not neglect what many would consider lesser matters of obedience in order for him to fulfill the greater matters of satisfying the requirements of the salvation of mankind. How is this exhibited? I've already mentioned it. How is it exhibited in our passage? Not only with regard to his taking the wine vinegar... But it's exhibited in such a compassionate and merciful way. As we see what Christ was concerned with on the cross at the beginning of our passage in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. What man would concern himself with taking care of the needs of his mother when dying on a cross. Astounding. This is an example of the perfection and perfect completion of the work of Christ, demonstrated here by his compassionate and tender care for his mother, who was grieving her heart out as the sword of her son's crucifixion pierced her soul. John, his beloved disciple, was to take Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home, and as Christ commanded, John did. This is an area of vivid comparison to us, as we seek to follow in the steps of Christ. For so many have the clay feet of the Old Testament example, such as Samuel, Eli, and David. These were righteous, godly men. Yet nonetheless, because of their disobedience, they allowed their families to turn from the Lord. They neglected their families. How many people, both men and women, have an overriding ambition? Often one that is a godly ambition. And in the process of pursuing that goal, which they believe is from the Lord, they turn away from their families. They neglect the needs of their families. They fail to keep their God-given responsibilities to wife, children, mother, and father. What a tragedy when fathers who are religious leaders, allow their wives and children to become embittered against the church and against Christ because of the neglect that they have shown towards them, because they claim that doing a work for the Lord is more important. Perhaps this is one reason why the requirements for an elder in the Timothy and Titus passages specify that one who would be an elder must be one who manages his family well because one who doesn't could not possibly hope to serve Christ and still devote himself to serving and loving his family at the same time. What a powerful witness this provides to us to show us that God's requirements for us never require for us to cast off other responsibilities that he has given to us as cherished responsibilities. Understand this well, How many times I have heard of people who have gone to seminary, for instance, to prepare for the pastorate, and as you learn more about their lives, you find that they left their families to do this. God said to them, you must go into the pastorate. And so they divorced their husbands or wives and went into the pastorate. The example of Christ on the cross is that to complete the work that he has given to us, he will always give us the strength to carry out the gracious the responsibilities for the gracious gifts he has given to us <clears throat> at the same time that we are serving him. He will not make it impossible for us to do this. And so as we look at our lives and as we see, perhaps you look at this and you consider the sermon that I have preached this morning and you say, man, I'm not doing very well. The glorious blessing is that when Christ completed his work, it was done in such a way that there would be forgiveness available for us poor sinners, for us hopeless cases, for us who are not accomplishing our jobs well at all that his gracious, compassionate mercy would be poured out upon people just such as us who look so often at our lives and say, this is a mess, how can I resolve it? And the answer to that is that Christ is the one who has the power to resolve the human mess. He is the one who promises as we seek him and honor him to bless the work of our hands, to sort out the muddle, to straighten out the mess. And so let us turn to him and finding. If you're on a job and you can't figure out how to do it, I remember I used to work a strapping machine at David C. Cook Publishing Company out in the warehouse a couple summers in, in college. And if you've ever gotten one of those things that has the little plastic band of strapping around it, and you have to turn it upside down and pull the part that's on the underside to to unsnap it, I ran that machine, and then it went into the shrink wrap. <clears throat> and let me tell you, you could do one strap, push on the pedal, and do one strap. <sharp inhale> boom. Okay, you got one strap done. But the trick was keeping the pedal down the whole time. How do you run it and turn it just at the right time so that it boom seals, boom seals and you're not turning with six different straps wound up all over this package in your hands. Well, let me tell you, there were certain people in that plant who you would ask to show you how, and others who you would not think of approaching. This is the example to us. And if you want to know how, you can ask me. But this is the example. Christ is the one whose work was completed well. Do you have difficulties completing your work well? He is the one to seek help from. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we give you thanks that you completed your work. That work was the glorious work of providing for the redemption of mankind through the shedding of your blood and the breaking of your body upon the cross. We give you thanks that you fulfilled it in every particular, perfectly, and in the right timing, and that you were victorious and remain victorious. And because of this, we trust in you for our salvation and we seek your help to bless our lives, that our lives might honor you and that our work might be blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.